0: Before we pray, let's just take a minute standing here with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Just think about what we've just sung. You know what? Sometimes we're talking about difficulty and suffering and the presence and the plan of God and all of those things. And I think that sometimes we need to say words that we know are true even when our hearts don't feel it. And sometimes it's hard to say, my heart will sing no other name, Jesus. Sometimes it's hard to say, I have enough. Jesus is enough. Sometimes it's difficult to say, you are true and good and right, even in my wandering. But we need to say it because it's true. Father, help us to speak truth to each other and to ourselves, to our own hearts, even when they betray us, even when they tremble with fear, or they quiver with rage, help us to know the truth always, you are good, you're a good father. Sometimes it doesn't seem like you are because of what's currently happening in our lives, but... The scripture, the truth, tells us that you are. And we speak that truth, even sometimes when we don't feel it. And this morning, Father, we pray nothing more and nothing less than the powerful working of your Holy Spirit through the truth of your word today. Ring it out into our hearts, through our situations, around our circumstances and deep into the seat of our souls where we need it we long for your working we need your presence we require your grace father every moment of every day even when we don't admit it thank you for drawing us together today and we look forward to what it is that you're going to say to us in Christ's name amen thanks folks you can have a seat If you were here with us last week, or you weren't here with us, and you listened to the podcast later at some time, you know that we are spending some time looking at the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And we're seeing some important lessons here, not only that Joseph learned, but Important lessons for us in our lives, things that we need to put into practice. Despite Joseph's pain and suffering, we're going to see God's intervention and his sovereignty. And last time, we talked about the fact that it feels like sometimes God is hiding. It's more than just that we can't see him. Sometimes it feels like he is purposefully trying to make himself unseeable. We don't know where he is. We don't know what he is doing. We cannot see him. But we know that he is always there and that he is always working even when we cannot find him. I quoted Rankin Worldborne last week, though God's ways are often long and hidden, they are always good. That's a tough pill to swallow. Even though his ways are long, even though they're often hidden, they're always good. That's why singing sometimes, that song we sang this morning, You're a Good, Good Father, is sometimes tough. doesn't always feel like he's a good father. But the Word tells us that he is. Don't be surprised if you can't see what God is doing from where you are right now. Don't be surprised if you can't understand what is happening. Remember that Joseph is on a 22-year journey. of Trying to find out, trying to figure out, trying to see what it is that God is doing in his life. Now your journey might be shorter than that. Or it could be longer than that. Last week I gave you an assignment. Now we all want to know why God causes pain and suffering, why He allows it in our lives. But before we do that, last week we talked about the fact that you need to choose, I need to choose, we all need to choose what God we believe in. Let me run down through them quickly again to refresh your memories. For those of you that weren't with us, we have a few choices here, and maybe you can add some more of your own. Maybe you've believed in a God in the past, or maybe you do right now that's not on my list. If so, add that to your list. Do you believe in the the powerless God, the God who is there, but when something bad happens doesn't have the ability to change it or to do anything about it? Or do you believe in the disinterested God? He's there. He may even be powerful enough, but he's so distracted with everything else that's going on that he, can't, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't notice, or maybe he doesn't care what's happening in your life. Or do you believe in the vending machine God? When I put th- good things in, God gives me good things. When I do wrong, he punishes me. Good for good, bad for bad. Or you can choose to believe in a God who is big enough, who is powerful enough, who loves us enough to take all of the good and evil in the world, all of the right and the wrong things, all of the enjoyable things and difficult things that happen in your life and in this world, and weave them all together into something that is going to be ultimately beautiful. Did you decide? Now, I don't want you to give me a Sunday school answer. You know what that means? Just the trite, quick, yep, hey, I believe in that God. Yep, I believe God loves me. I don't want that. I'm not going to give you Sunday school answers, and I don't want you to give them to me. This This matters, that we actually understand what God that we believe in. Now, I have to pause here for a moment and I have to tell you something. There's another step that we have to deal with before we get to the big answer. The big answer to why God allows pain and suffering in our lives. I've been thinking about this all week. And I know that last week I promised you that I was going to give you the big answer this week. But you have to know something. I have pages and pages and pages and pages of notes that I've been working on this for a long time. And I had so much stuff when I worked through it and I looked through it this week, I realized there's another step that we have to take. Okay? So what that means is we're not going to get to the big answer this week. I know, everybody gets up and walks out. Coming back next week. I'm not stalling. I didn't plan this. I didn't tell you that as a bait and switch to get you to come this week and then put you off. I honestly didn't. We were going to talk about the big answer this week. It's going to be next week, I promise. And I don't need more time to figure it out. It's there. It's real. It matters. We all need to hear it. But let me just tell you this before we go any further, guys, in all seriousness if we are not prepared to hear it, it won't matter that we hear it. Okay? If we're not in the right place where we need to be, it won't matter if I gave it to you now or I give it to you next year, it won't do us any good. Okay? There's a couple of steps that we need to take. The first one is the one that we talked about last week that I just reminded you of. You need to choose to believe in the God of Scripture. Here's the second step that we need to take, the second action step that we need to take in order to be ready, and it's this. We need to climb out of the pit of self-focus. We need to climb out of the pit of self-focus. Now, when we left Joseph last week, he was in a pretty desperate situation, remember? His brothers... We're going to kill him. They had a little recalibration and discussion and decided instead to throw him into a pit. It says there was no water in the pit. It was too deep for him to climb out of. He was helpless. If you were to keep reading in the book of Genesis, you would get to chapter 42, and there Joseph's brothers are recounting the whole situation. And when they recount the whole situation, you will find that his brother's acknowledge that he was begging them to let him out of the pit. He was begging his brothers to take him out, and they didn't do it. When they finally did pull him out, it was to sell him to slave traders who hauled him off to Egypt. Now, we're going to pick up the story in a second, but I want to pause here to talk about us again because this is not an academic story about Joseph's life. This is us learning how to process what happens in our own lives, okay? So don't look at this as an interesting case study. Look at this and say, what is it that I have to do with this information? How do I process these things happening in my life? Because, you see, I believe that when we suffer, we fall into a pit of self-focus, This is what's happening to me, right? If you can, take a moment, think back to a time when something very difficult or very painful has happened in your life. Maybe that's a long time. Maybe it's happening right now. But you think back to it, and when it happens, we fall into this pit of self-focus. And that's natural. This is what's happening to me. But what happens is when we fall into that pit, our world gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Picture yourself in a pit that's, say, four feet wide and six feet deep. You can still see out. You can still see some of the world around you. But what happens when the pit gets deeper? Not any bigger, but when it gets deeper your vision is cut off, and you can see less and less and less. And the deeper you go, pretty soon, all you can see are the walls around you. And nothing else matters, and no one else matters because it's you in that pit by yourself. It's all we can see, and so it's all we have to focus on. Now, there's an interesting thing that I think about, and I want to suggest you to think about this morning, about being in the pit of self-focus. The pit is not really a good place to be, but in some ways, it seems like a safe place. Can I explain that to you a little bit? You know what I mean? The pit isn't a good place. You don't want to be down there. It's dark and it's dank, and you're cut off from everything else around you and everyone else around you. But in some ways, that kind of makes you feel a little bit safe because here's what pain causes us to do. Pain causes us to cut ourselves off to try and keep ourselves from getting hurt again, right? And what we find is, either subconsciously or very intentionally, we say to ourselves, relationships bad, people bad, God bad. I don't necessarily like the pit, but I don't get hurt anymore in the pit because there's no one else in there with me. Pain causes us to wall ourselves off in order to protect ourselves. Let me just suggest this to you to be thinking about over the next few minutes as we continue through this. As long as you stay in the pit of self-focus, you will never be able to see or process God's purpose in your suffering. As long as you stay in the pit of self-focus, you'll never be able to see or process God's purpose in your suffering because I'm going to give you a little hint about what we're going to be talking about more in just about 10 minutes. But part of God's purpose in our suffering is about way more than just us. Let's look at Genesis 39 and look at... What's happening with Joseph? Genesis 39 verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. So we got a lot of verses to read in Genesis 39, so I'm going to kind of go through them a little bit quickly. But Joseph got dragged out of his pit, literally, but he certainly could have stayed in it figuratively as we're talking about here. Joseph goes down, sold to save slave traders, they take him to Egypt, he gets sold to this guy, this guy takes him to his house to be his slave, verse 2 of Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him, that is that Potiphar made Joseph overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. Now this is an interesting little interlude, especially if you know what happens next in Joseph's story. Some of you already know what happens next, some of you don't. But if you know what happens next, this is an interesting little interlude because he's a slave. But I want you to notice a few things. It says that God was with Joseph. But please keep clear in your mind that Joseph was still in the middle of his suffering, but God was with him. Okay, He's a slave, but God is with him. I want you to notice as well that God's presence was with Joseph was perceptible to others who were around him. It says that Potiphar noticed that the Lord was with Joseph. Even in the middle of all that was going on, He saw that God was with him and God's presence in Joseph's life, still in the middle of the suffering, had an impact on the lives of those around him. It says here that once Potiphar put Joseph in charge of all his house and all his stuff, his business interests and and whatever it was that he had, all of his resources, it said the Lord blessed him. You know, let's look at verse 6. So he, that is Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So Potiphar, he was feeling good about life. He bought this guy in the slave market, thought he was going to get some houseboy, and instead he's got a guy who's running the whole show, running his whole life. All Potiphar has to do is wake up in the morning and get to the dinner table, and he's good. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, verse 7. And after a time, his master's wife, that is Potiphar's wife, cast her eyes on Joseph and said, "'Lie with me.' But he refused and said to his master's wife, "'Behold, because of my, me, my master has no concern about anything in the house.'" and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, or heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant that you brought in among us came in to me to laugh at me, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Let's notice a couple of things. Number one, you know what I noticed when I read through that first time? At some point, at some point, Joseph climbed out of his pit. At some point, he climbed out of his pit of self-focus. And he had recalibrated, and he knew that God was with him, and he knew that to have any kind of contact with Potiphar's wife would be a sin. Not only did you notice that he said it would be wrong because of his relationship with his master, but he said it would be a sin against God. So Joseph had climbed out of his pit. I want you to notice here too. Then this happens. After he's made some good decisions, apparently, changed some things about his outlook and how he was processing everything that's going on, He is falsely accused of rape and sexual assault. Look at verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. So after all this, after everything that Joseph had been through, if we were to take a little poll here and say, how many people think Joseph has already been through enough? You know, most of us would say, yeah, you know, I think he's, he's been through enough. But after all of this, he ends up in prison. And Joseph certainly could have said, but God, I learned my lesson I learned my lesson. I know. I know that I was a little arrogant. I know that I really didn't know how to use the gift that you had given me properly and for your glory. I know I was kind of selfish about it. And I know I really wasn't very respectful to my brothers and even sometimes to my parents. I know it was all me, me, me. But I learned. I climbed out of the pit. I want you to notice that the Lord was still with Joseph. It says two more times in that last three verses that we read that the Lord was with him. He was using him. He was positioning him. And this is what we have to grab right here before we go any further to put into practice in our own lives. We need to understand that what Joseph did and that is that this was way more about about way more than Joseph's character. Everything that was happening, all that had taken place, was about way more than Joseph's character. If it was only about Joseph's character, then after he had gone to Potiphar's house, and after he had climbed out of the pit of self-focus, and after God had put him in that place, then God would have just simply... Allowed Joseph to go his merry way, to make the decisions that he was going to make, to do what he was going to do in that place. But it was about more than just Joseph's character. And this is why the pit of self-focus is so dangerous. And this is why the walls are so slippery in this pit. Because even for the well intentioned Christ follower, even for those of us who are sitting here this morning, we're saying, We love God and we want to do what's right. Even for us, saying, I learned my lesson. I get it, God. You let me go through this difficult thing. You let me wade through all this garbage. You let me deal with all this stuff. I get it. I learned my lesson. Guess what? That is still self-focus. That's still self-focus. Because this is what we say. God, I learned. I get it. I had some rough edges, but they're gone. I'm good. You're God. Life is tough, but I'm better now. And do you know what God says? He says, seriously? He says, do you know how many times you used I in that sentence? I learned. I get it. I had some rough edges. I'm good. I'm better now. And you know what God is trying to say to every one of us through the megaphone of pain and suffering? He's trying to say, there is so much more than I am doing. This is about so much more than just you. This is about so much more than just your character and your rough edges. I know. Suffering always feels so personal. It is personal. It's happening in your life. It's happening in my life. The interesting thing is next week when we continue Joseph's story to its conclusion, we're going to see just how vast, just how huge... God's purpose was in Joseph's suffering. To say that it was about more than just Joseph's character is a massive understatement, if you know the rest of the story. And we're going to get to the big answer to why God allows and even ordains suffering in our lives. But first, I want to talk about this in the last few minutes that we have. I want to talk about the imperative of surrender to God. Remember I said there was a couple of things that need to happen? Remember I said we, we've got to be ready, we have to be prepared, we have to be in the right place when we hear the big answer so that we can receive it in a way that actually impacts the way that we live life. You see, once you climb out of your pit of self-focus, you've got to wave the white flag. If you watch the, you know, old war movies or maybe even documentaries, I guess I'm picturing especially World War I, that horrible, horrible war where they dug into foxholes across the field from each other. And just fired back and forth at each other and they lobbed shells into each other's foxholes and they set up machine gun nests and they gunned down anybody that wanted to run out across no man's land. And sometimes after one side was being overpowered and overwhelmed and they just couldn't take it anymore, what did they do? They took a white handkerchief out of their pocket and they tied it onto the muzzle of their rifle and they kept their head down but they stuck the rifle up, right, with a white flag. What were they saying? That's it. I surrender. I can't do this anymore. I give up. I'm done. Take it. Take the land. Take the territory. Whatever. Take me. I'm done. See, when you surrender all of your personal rights, we love our rights all of our personal rights, all of our say-so is gone when we really surrender. Jesus was our perfect pattern of surrender. We read these verses, we looked at them when Tim and I were walking you through the book of John last year. John five nineteen and 20 say this, So Jesus said to them, he was talking to the disciples, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing, I can do nothing on my own. That's an interesting statement for Jesus to make because... We spent the whole book of John last year. How many weeks did we spend in the book of John talking about the fact that Jesus is God? He is God. He has all power. And yet he looked at the disciples and he said, Guys, I don't do anything that the Father doesn't do. I, I, I can't do anything on my own. Do you know what that was, friends? Surrender. That was surrender. And no one suffered more pain, no greater suffering than Jesus did. But he stayed out of the pit. He wasn't in it and had to climb out. He stayed out of it. And he surrendered himself to the Father's will. I can do nothing except what the Father is doing. Listen to Luke 22, 42. Father... This is Jesus just before going to the cross. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now you can look at that and you can say, yeah, well, but that's Jesus. (laughs) Right? That's Jesus. That was easy well, it was Jesus, he was God then, he is God now, but I don't think it was easy. Okay, well, maybe it wasn't easy, but Jesus knew what God was doing, so that helps. I mean, if I knew what God was doing then I could surrender. But that's the thing. I don't know what God's doing. I don't understand why he's allowing this pain in my life. I don't understand why this suffering is happening. But if I knew like Jesus knew, then maybe I could deal with it too. You don't know how glad I am that you said that. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul this time. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What does Paul say to us? What does Paul say to us? Now, if you uh, have a good understanding of the book of Romans, which some of you probably do, you will know that Paul has just spent 11 chapters telling us who God is and all that he has done for us. And now Paul says, I'm begging you, I'm begging you. Wave the white flag of surrender. I'm begging you to surrender. Can you do that? Are you willing? It's brutally difficult. Just want to encourage you before you take the step. It's brutally difficult. But it can be done. And it needs to be done. It needs to be done every single day. Will you give up your desire for happiness? Will you give up your desire for comfort? Will you give up your desire to be accepted? Your desire to be understood or to live a life that's fair? That's what God is saying. He's saying, I just, I'm asking you to surrender yourself to me. Why would we possibly do that? Well, please don't forget what we've already talked about. The only reason why you would even consider this step of climbing out of the pit of self-focus and waving the white flag of surrender is because you have already decided that you believe in a God that's big enough, powerful enough, that loves you enough to take all of the good and the evil in the world and everything that happens in your life and weave it all together into something beautiful. That's why I said you had to make that decision first. That's the only God that I would even consider surrendering myself to. In that second verse, he says, don't be conformed to this world, shaped, molded, influenced, taught, pressured by this world. Usually when we read this verse, we think that's about sin, right? Don't peer pressure. Don't let the peer pressure of the world cause you to act in a way that's contrary to what God wants. But I want you to think about it this morning in the context of what we're talking about. And I feel like Paul is also including here, don't be conformed to the philosophies of this world. That is the me first entitlement mentality that is just completely pervasive in our society. Don't be conformed to that. Don't be shaped by that mentality Be shaped by the mentality of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you. Why does he say that? Let this mind be in you. He's saying let this mind be in you, not that mind be in you. Not the world's mind, not the world's mentality, but Jesus' mentality. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and humbled himself and became obedient unto the cross. Now look what happens when we do this. Look what happens when we do this, when we are surrendering ourselves to him completely and we're not being formed, our thinking is not being formed by the philosophies of the world. Look what happens. The last phrase of verse 2, that by what? That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you see that? Are you following the little trail that we've been wandering down here? Do you see that? That by what? That by testing, that by suffering, that by pain, you can what? Understand His will. That is what? Good and acceptable and perfect. Remember what you guys asked a few minutes ago? Remember the statement that you made when I was talking? When you said, if I knew what God was doing like Jesus knew what God was doing, then I could surrender too. Well, guess what? You can know. That's what Paul says. You can know. And how do you know? How, what is the only way to know what God is doing? What does it say? That by what? Testing. God says, here is the world. Terrible and beautiful things will happen. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Make sure you believe in who I say that I am. Climb out of the pit and surrender to me. And I'll show you what I'm doing. You'll know. You'll understand what's happening. In the meantime, God says to each one of us I'm here. I'm here. Take my hand, and I will walk through this with you. Listen to the words of the song. So, two questions. Here we are, the point where we need to be. Will you choose to believe the right God? and when you climb out of your pit of self-focus and wave the white flag. If you can say yes, honestly, sincerely say yes to those two questions, then you're ready. You're ready to know the answer. You're ready to know the purpose. Pain and suffering in our lives. I'm not saying that any of this is easy. I'm not saying if you come next week and and you hear what I have to say and I show you what the Scripture says, I'm not saying that it's going to be easy, but it is so necessary. Because if you can't get over this, every time something happens in your life that you don't like, you will walk away from the one God, the one person who truly loves you and can care for you and can walk you through what's right in front of you. You'll do it every time. We all need to make these choices. Father, we do believe, I do believe that you are big enough, powerful enough, and that you love me enough to weave everything that happens in this world, good and evil, right and wrong, sinful and just, and everything that happens in my life into something that eventually will be incredibly beautiful, will be, in fact, the most beautiful thing that this universe has ever seen. But between where we are right now and there is a lot of stuff that we've got to walk through. Father, we reach for your hand this morning. We cling to it in desperation as it is our only valid, dependable lifeline through this life. For everyone that's here this morning, Father, whatever point they're at with these questions, with this conundrum, with their lives, I ask that you will meet them exactly where they are as only you can do and draw them to yourself, that they might know the freedom that comes through faith. They might not have the hope that is available in Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us and all that he is doing for us and all that he will do for us. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And I pray that we might see that this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. Have a great week.